Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yes, we are. We're back again. Uh, Tuesday night is a pretty rare one for us, but Nick's been in La Belle France for a few days. So uh, you can tell us about that before we start talking any snooker at all. Well, before that, I'll tell you what I will say. Pinch, punch, first of the month and no returns. And that is the kind of maturity we're dealing with <laughs> in this podcast. I, don't, I just looked at it, I thought, oh, it's the first. I mean, well, I'm not sure the last time we did, we recorded on the first of the month. I had to do that. How, how silly. But yes, you're right, Phil. I mean, you, you did spoil a bit of childishness from me, but um, but I'm sure I'll have some more childishness to come. But I was going to give you a clue by saying where I was, by saying bonjour, Monsieur Philippe. You'd have guessed, <laughs> you'd have guessed that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. I had, I had a whistle-stop tour of France. Um. But first visited Bordeaux. What a smashing place that is. My goodness, terrific. Spent the weekend in the Pyrenees, mostly in Lourdes, catching up with uh, uh, some old friends uh, at an event down there. And then, I was just telling you off air, went to the final stage of the Tour de France women's race in Pau. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I think we were both saying that I would never be a tour aficionado, but it's kind of an event I just thoroughly respect for its pure history, its grandeur, its spectacle. And I think like a lot of women's sport, it'll get bigger and bigger now. It's only the second proper staging, but it's so much more accessible. I saw so much more. I've been to the men's race in France before, and that's obviously great, but you just saw so much, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was, and it was the end. It was time trial. So it wasn't one of those where you see the bunch whiz past. You know, you saw cyclists after cyclists going around. So that was great. Very enjoyable. And then, and then finished up yesterday in, in Toulouse. I had nothing to lose by ending up in that part of France, Phil. So, um, no, it's good to be back home. And we we were we had a slightly more grand plans at one time for this episode. But I think, you know, with my trip and kind of our, our busy work lives and what have you and social lives, we, we're calling this episode, I think, Latest News and Latest Views. Now, after some qualifying, there might be a case of, oh, is there that much news? But after this particular set 
of European Masters qualifiers, Phil. There's some cracking stories to emerge, weren't there? Yeah, it did feel like that. Um, it's hard to judge these sort of qualifying sections. Tournaments a bit um, blur into one, sometimes a bit forgettable. But it did seem like every day that went past of, of this one in Leicester, hoping to get to Nuremberg, that uh, there were some stories emerging most days and, uh, you know, some really eye-catching stuff. Um, we, we asked we asked listeners to send in their highlights and I don't think, you know, usually if you ask that after a few qualifiers, most people will be saying the same thing, but it's actually quite a varied selection, which is, is great to see. You're right. It's a proper varied selection. And I will try and reflect that. As I say, it's uh, very much the both. This is a news and views episode, so we're going to bring you a sort of decent uh, cross-section of those stories and those results from qualifying and the rest of the other snooker news over the last week, along with uh, yeah, a good selection of your views too. So European Masters qualifying is our, our kind of main priority tonight, Phil. Let's kick off then, shall we, with last Tuesday. And you were right to go, ooh, you were right, because it was very exciting, Aaron Hill and Jimmy White. It, it, Hill won that 5-4. Uh, one of the big stories of that day, Zach Surti, though, beating Ryan Day 5-3. Smashing win for Zach, career high break of one three five in that match. I know I've banged on about it before, but I always remember Stuart Bingham waxing lyrical about him on the phone to me, saying what a good player he is. They practice loads together from the same part of the world. He's never really shown it. I mean, maybe this is the time to do it now. I mean, he's not, you know, particularly young, but listen, he's got plenty of snooker time on his side yet. So that's going to give him all the confidence in the world, a win like that, especially with the, the kind of you know, form and general good play we've seen from Ryan Day over the last season or two. Well, John Higgins, no doubt inspired by his appearance on Talking Snooker, Phil, uh, easily beat Martin Gould 5-1. And uh, while well, there was two late-night defeats uh, for two tour newcomers, which I noticed you highlighted on your Twitter, very much the school of hard knocks, this one. Yeah. Stan Moody losing 5-4 to Elliot Slesser after being 4-3 ahead. And Liam Pullen losing 5-4 to Oliver Brown after being 4-2 up. Now, you mentioned um, the views. By the way, ex- excellent charge you took of our Twitter feed. I have to say, I'm, I'm almost considering it very lazy for me. I'm almost saying you might have to do it full time. You know, you have what excellent marshalling. I'm sure that's probably good news and bad news for you, me suggesting that. But <laughs> it, it, you top of supremo effort there. Oh, that's very kind. I mainly just retweeted my own tweets, but I'll, I'll take the compliments when it comes. Well, I thought you you teed up the views excellently. We've got a real good cross-section. And the first one of them is from Stephen Bates here, who says, Stan Moody didn't get over the line, but a very good knockout debut against a seasoned player on the pro tour. So, yeah, we'll I say school of hard knocks for those two, Phil. But what a fine win for Zach Sertian. I think that day generally set the tone for what we're saying was an above-average set of qualifying stories throughout the week. I think so, yeah. And I think we said last week about how a little bit more unpredictable at the start of the season, maybe. But um, I think Zach Surety, I didn't see the odds of what he would have been to beat Ryan Day, but uh, fairly long, I'd say. Zach, Zach doesn't get a lot of wins. And um, I always sort of keep an eye out for him as well. You, know, you spoke to Stuart about him that time, and I spoke to him when he came through Q School last year, Zach. And uh, his time on tour has been really hard work, and he's suffered with anxiety, um, been out in out sitting in his chair, just hoping someone would beat him because he doesn't want to be out there anymore. Um, if you Google a piece, was it Google Metro and Zach Surety, you'd find a piece I wrote with him that where uh, you know he's just really struggled and 
players like that, they are really good players. Obviously, they wouldn't be on the tour, but you know, they struggle to show their best form because all sorts going on. Um, so I was very pleased with him to see that he got such a great win and got his highest ever break uh, in the process. So yeah, that was great. And yeah, that was uh, the second night I watched. It was late night. Um, no, it's the first night, wasn't it? Pulling and Moody. Um, I had one on my phone and one on the TV. Um, and because there's no commentary, it was in almost complete silence. And I was thinking, what am I doing here at the midnight? <laughs> <laughs> but it was so tense, you know, and you can't turn it off. And uh, they were both ahead. Um, and I felt so bad for them because uh, that would have been two great wins for them, especially Moody against Lesser. That's a really tough match. Um, but they both just fell short. But hopefully they will have gained lots of useful experience there. Um even to win four frames, that, that I mean, that would win a lot of matches in most tournaments, wouldn't it? Four frames would get you over the line. Um, but yeah, they look they look like they can certainly compete on tour, that's for sure. Wait a sec. I mean, sh- shouldn't shouldn't you as the presenter of a snooker podcast be saying you're having the time of your life rather than what am I doing? I know what you mean, though. With, a, with that lack of commentary sometimes, it sort of feels like, I mean, you know... <laughs> I mean, you clearly are on your own when there is commentators, but you 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 feel there's kind of a, a presence yeah. there, isn't there? Even if it's just a voice on the, uh, but of course the the best ones will say. I've heard Dennis Taylor say many times over the years. He always tries to think about he's speaking to one person, and that, I think that's what the best ones do. So you you do feel you have that sort of um, company during a match, but yeah, when you when you've got that sort of silence, you're watching matches. Uh, yeah, especially when you've got two on the go, it can. Feel, feel a bit funny, but but just to say, there were quite a lot of late night ones, weren't there? Like mm. that. I mean, I saw I saw you had a bit of a rock and roll night with with Selton Hamilton a bit later in the week. I mean, you <laughs> you you there was some good viewing there, wasn't there? Especially late stuff. Yeah, there was. I mean, that's what I was saying. It was a really good good week. I think the first best of nine is, you know, I think everyone agrees it's the longer match the better. So best of nine is just a step up from best of seven, and you get some really good matches. Um, and there was lots going on. Um, yeah, if we carry through carry through that second day, I mean, this not a major surprise, but Ben Wollaston beat Robert Milkins. That's a really good win for Ben against Milkins, who's been doing so well. And uh, um, I'll give a shout out to Fabio Valente on Twitter. I'm not sure if you follow him. He's a very good follow for anyone who doesn't. He runs Snooker Italia, yeah. uh, which is a very good website, and he comes out with great stats. Um, so this is after that win, after Wollaston beat Milkins 5-3. He says, Ben, not only he books his place in the European Masters main draw, but he also got his 450th career professional win, as many as Stephen Lee and James Watana, which puts yeah. him on 45th place in the all-time list, which, you know, Ben Wollaston probably hasn't got too many uh, snooker records on his low. I mean, that's not a record, but, you know, it's a very impressive set of statistics. So well done to him and fine win over the Milkman, who's been so good over the last year or so. No, very much so. Yeah, I highlighted that one as well. That's a that's a smashy win. I think I said maybe a couple of episodes ago. It comes to my mind now that Milkins is one of those guys that just looks different to me now. It, I think of him differently right now when he's entering tournaments. He he's got that sort of stature of a recent winner, and he just has that sort of belief about him. So yeah, really good win. Well, there was a, also good victories for uh, a couple of old favourites. Phil Ken Doherty beating David Lilly five. Four, top win for Ken, that, and how much he'll enjoy heading to Nuremberg. And Dominic Dale saw off Anthony McGill, 5-2, combined age of 104 from the two winners there, <laughs> Phil. You can't put a price on experience. And Snooker seat, Snooker 365 says that for them, Dominic Dale's win was a real highlight of qualifying. You, you can't keep them down, can you, Phil? Ken and Dom, Dominic very much still got it. 
Yeah, I mean, Ken against David Lilly, I think it is a, is a match from the seniors, isn't it? I think they, they may well have played on the senior tour. Um, and Dominic McGill, yeah, I mean, he's just so unreliable outside of Sheffield, isn't he? And um, again, the odds would have been strongly in his favour, but I'm sure some people would have picked out Dominic because Anthony's just so prone to a to an early early defeat um, in any tournament that's not the Crucible. So I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's a long-lasting, confusing nature of this of snooker, isn't it? He, he's a top sixteen player all day based on his world championship performances, but based on everything else, nowhere near it. So um, it's it's very odd. It is, and with some players, you sort of it, it's hard to pinpoint where you might look for improvements or things to to look at across seasons. With McGill, it's absolutely obvious. He just has to. Yes, or somehow knuckle down and reproduce that form throughout the. I mean, he has run ranking events and he's done very well in many ranking events, but not enough of them, really. Is it still a couple? I mean, I can't mm. think now. Certainly, and one of them, I think, might be the shootout. So, mm. you know, he that's low down, really, for how good he is. I mean, you know, I'm sure, like you know, we, like everyone, we've all seen him in crucible matches over the year. Like we turned Ronnie over, but he's turned many, many, many superb players over there. And it, yeah, he, I guess he just wishes there'd be more more tournaments with those marathon matches, but that's just not the way the snooker tour is. But yeah, that was a a really good win for Dominic there. And then we moved on to Thursday now. And one of the clear highlight there was Rianne Evans beating Jensen Kendrick 5-4. And uh, that's her first victory on tour. That's another shootout, I think I'm right in saying for Rianne. She, she got a win a couple of weeks before in the Championship League over Jimmy. Ah, I see. Is it first regular sort of tournament? First sort of knockout win. Knockout win. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's 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 more specifically the right way to say it. The match lasted four hours, actually, Phil. It was really long. Um, taken off in the afternoon. That one of those where they had to come back. We've seen plenty of those over the years with Rianne four three up. One frame actually lasted one hour and thirteen minutes. So I mean that was just a, yeah. Actually, I mean about say even even we haven't done that, we have actually. <laughs> <laughs> we almost definitely have. When when they came back, Kendrick levelled at four four, but then Rianne held a nerve to win the decider. That that's big. That's a you know another big moment in a in a snooker life, a snooker journey. Uh, elsewhere, Jack Lazowski beat Sam Craigie five three, and there was a fine comeback win for Ben Mertens five four over Gary Wilson. We have two comments on this actually. Uh, from the, the, the Twitter post we put out for people asking uh, for their highlights. Steve says, Rianne's win was great. I hope she can gain some confidence from it. And Malin says, for me, the highlight was the comeback from Ben Mertens from 4-3 and 60 points down. Gary Wilson may have been helped helpful by giving foul points away, but it doesn't take much away from how superb that steal was. And obviously there was still a decider to be one afterwards. Yeah, that's a real real good scout there for Mertens. And I think everyone in snooker, Phil, won't they, will be pleased for Rianne. She's such a big character in this sport and uh, clearly, clearly a fine victory for her. Yeah, very good. It looked, I think we said before um, before the tournament was played, after she got uh, a win and a draw in the Championship League and that was sort of encouraging start to the season. And then Jensen Kendrick, you know, no, no disrespect to him, but he's winning a lot on tour. So there was a chance to kick on a bit and she's done just that. It was, it was a serious old slog. I watched, uh, I watched bits of that game. Um, didn't have time to watch all of it. Um, but yeah, no, fine when she won't care. It's happened. And then off to Nuremberg. So she'll be delighted with that. And, uh, 
yeah, that was a brilliant win for Ben Mertens against Gary Wilson, who's had a bit of a stinking start to the season, really. He's been off playing pool and been very good in the in the pool circuit. He had some fine wins there, but um, he didn't have a good uh, string of results in the Championship League and then lost his first game there. So um, he'll probably be putting the pool queue away and focusing on the snooker for a while after that uh, to get some wins on the board. It, it can surely have a negative effect, though, can't it, at times? I mean, I... It... They're two sports, but they're vastly different, aren't they? And yeah, you know, maybe it genuinely is a spin-off from that. I mean, who knows? He'll have to tell us, wouldn't he? But you know, I just, yeah, maybe, maybe you can focus it a bit too much. And also, it, it, it kind of that the last two seasons when we had those really, really big gaps, it kind of made more sense. But maybe now, when snooker's a bit more thick and fast, it's a bit more of a say funny move. Maybe sound a bit rude, but it. A bit unlikely, maybe. Maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean these are these are sort of notably poor results for someone as highly ranked and as good as Gary Wilson is. So um, it's easy to put those two things together, maybe. But uh, he, I'm sure he didn't think that would happen. He's probably just thought he'd dabble with a bit of pool over the summer and just come back and be fine. But um, he might rethink things now. I don't know. Um, or because he hasn't earned much money, he might be back on the pool circuit trying to earn some <laughs> some cash. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, fair, fair call. And then we move on to Friday, Phil. Again, clear highlight. Sean O'Sullivan making a one four seven, the first maximum of the season. And, well, I'm sure you, many of you would have seen the clip now of that black to yellow, the final black. What a shot with the rest, Phil. I mean, he would have been so disappointed to leave the cue ball where, where he was for that final black. But he just, brilliant, you know, just to get, to get it in, but then to get himself on the yellow as well, stretching with the rest. Horrible place he left the cue ball in. It really was an excellent effort. So that's that's on our... T- we did actually put it again on our Talking Snooker Twitter feed earlier, if you haven't seen it. Such an impressive shot. He actually lost 5-2 to Barry Hawkins, um, despite making the headlines, which reminds me, actually, that what, it became a bit of a cliche to say that most people that get one four seven seem to lose, but I'm pretty sure someone wrote into Dave Hendon at Snooker Scene, actually, with some research and actually said, no, most still do win their matches. I'm pretty mm. sure that's right some some yeah. while back now. Um, but it, it does seem quite quite often that, that they lose. Um, but anyway, that was a, that was a smashing effort. Um, and Mark, Mark Williams is struggling, Phil. He can't get himself <laughs> going. You know, he, he beat Zhang under 5-0. And it only lasted one hour, 10 minutes. I mean, Shades, Ronnie's done that a couple of times at the Masters over the years, hasn't he? It's a... Uh, Absolute brutal for, for the loser there. Williams making breaks of 79, 104, 77 and 69. And elsewhere, India's Ishpreet Singh Chanda beat Ryan Thomason 5-2. And uh, we have Janet there, one of our correspondents, saying that Ishpreet has definitely got a new fan in me. He took the eye at the Championship League a bit, didn't he, actually? And he recorded a fine victory again here. And Janet, Janet says, also enjoyed Ben's comeback, Sean's maximum break, and Willow just breezing through. A couple more results from that Friday play. David Gilbert beating Ollie Lyons 5-3. And then Anthony Hamilton beating Matt Selt 5-3, a match you settled down to watch late at night, Phil. And uh, Anthony recalling some few wins, you know, the old war horse of the game. But uh, another fine day there. But the highlight, that one four seven, And you've spoken to Sean O'Sullivan since, haven't you? He's told you about his various injuries, illness issues he's had, but obviously now hoping for brighter times to come. 
Yeah, he's had a, he's had all sorts going on. I spoke to him uh, last year when he got back on tour and he had all sorts of back problems and mental health issues he got through. Um, was feeling good then, and then since then had a knee problem and he went to a rheumatologist and he turned out he's had quite a rare form of arthritis um, that was giving him problems in his knee and his back. Um, he's he's largely over that now. It's not entirely over that, but he's in a much better place. But um, then he got a new queue over the summer and he had a real shocker in the Championship League and he was struggling with his new queue. It feels all right with that now. So even though he lost the match uh, to Barry, as many people would do, Barry Hawkins, superb, obviously, um, the fact he made that 147 um, meant that he felt, he, at least he felt like he was playing well and feeling good about his game again. Um, not too much concentrating on pain, you know, throughout his body and the cue problems as well. So, yeah, he's had an awful lot to deal with. Um, you know, he's one of these players, um, very popular player, very likeable guy. Um, but if you just sort of follow snooker results down the rankings, you might not think too much about it. But these guys have so much to deal with and Sean's one of them. Um, really, obviously, an excellent player. Um, so hopefully he can get as fit and healthy as possible, uh, get his cue sorted and uh, do some damage because he's clearly good enough, as, as he showed um, by making that maximum. Um, and yeah, that last, that black. And then and then he said, actually, the yellow afterwards, he felt was a harder shot um, because the black with the long extensions, he just had to poke at, as he put it. But the yellow, you had to cue properly and get on the green. And if you mess that up, it could go really badly wrong. Um, so, yeah, you know, he was delighted with that, obviously. And hopefully, even though he lost the match, that should be a few thousand pounds on the high break unless someone goes and someone else goes and makes a max in Nuremberg. I'm sure there'll be willing willing people on to miss as they were clearing up there. Um <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, so good stuff for him. Obviously not the win, but still good stuff. Uh, yeah, Mark Williams, amazing. Zhang Anders, no pushover by any stretch. Um, so that was incredible. And uh, yeah, Gilbert, Gilbert against Lions was a nice opening round match. Gilbert got a good win there. Uh, and yeah, I watched. I didn't watch all of that Hamilton Celt match, but yeah, <laughs> I'd been in the pub for a bit and got back. And uh, uh, I think Celt made it, it, took it to the decider. Uh, and I just got into bed. Stuck it on the TV for the, the for the final frame, um, and the, and the sheriff got over the line. He's had, yeah, he's had a very good start to the season. Won his first championship league group, going strong at fifty two years old. It's very impressive. It really is, yeah, very much so. I've actually got five three here down, which makes me think I might have written that down wrong on, on that Hamilton cell. But anyway, you, you, you certainly got the you got, got 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 the climax of it, and that they that smashing win there for 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 Hamilton definitely, and. Yeah, Dave Gilbert. I mean, as he, as we said before, he was a a little bit of a broken man um, at the Crucible, and that's some months ago now. But you know, d- despite his talk of maybe not playing so much in these early early weeks and months of the new season, he, he is playing and he's picking up some results. So hopefully, sort of step back to a to, to a good path from him. We finished on Saturday, Phil. That was the last day with Lu Haoshan beating uh, Feng Shengji at five four. It's a couple I scribbled down from that day. Stuart Bingham, uh, uh, another redoubtable character in the game, making sure of his place in Nuremberg, beating Jamie Clark 5-2. Well, I say redoubtable, less redoubtable the last season or two, actually. So Stuart, I think, will be wanting a really good campaign, won't he? Uh, Hossein Bafai beat Rod Lawler 5-1. Now, don't say Rod Lawler, Phil, especially this time of night. You'll wake up a whole parish. But um, but that was a good thumping win for Hossein there. And we got Cameron writing to us saying, very happy for Rianne and Lou Haoshan. Rianne's match was nervy stuff. And Liu played well against Fan. Very underrated player. Hits the ball nicely. 
Yeah, he reached a couple of quarterfinals, didn't he, last season? And uh, one of those, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on in, in this new campaign. Uh, but that wrapped up qualifying, Phil. So, yeah, please do have, have your own word there if you want on, on Messrs Liu, uh, Bingham and uh, Hossein Vafai, who all uh, claim wins on that final day. Well, it was a, I think it was the final game of that day, actually, that really caught my eye. Adam Duffy uh, knocking out Marco Four, Marco Foo 5 4. Mm. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Um, you know, Marco's not getting loads and loads of wins since he's broken back on tour, but I think Adam Duffy gets even less. So, um, yeah, great result for, for him. Um, yeah, he came through Q School. I spoke to him when I spoke to Zach Surety that time in Sheffield. And, uh, he was sort of doing a lot of work bricklaying and wasn't necessarily taking snooker that seriously. And uh, he came through Q School for a, for another stint on tour and uh, not sure how much <laughs> how seriously he's taking it now, but um, clearly got a lot of talent or he wouldn't keep getting back on tour. And to beat Marco Fu in the side was an excellent result. Um, so well done to him. Um, and yeah, a uh, few other good wins until Emery beat Barry Pinchers, didn't he? Uh, good young talent there. Um, I saw Pinchers replace Liam Highfield in the draw, and I didn't actually see why. Um, not sure why Liam didn't play there. Um, should find that out, really. Um, and, yeah, uh, one of the one, Peng Song beat another newcomer, Jing Zhao, who, who was at Victoria's Academy as well as Peng. Um, and I know he lost there, but he, I watched him a bit in the Championship League as well, and he looked quite good, and he made a... He made a 130-odd total clearance in that match despite losing. So, clearly uh, a talent on the, on the tour again. So, yeah, uh, that wraps up qualifying for the European Masters and uh, pretty eventful, really. Enjoyable. It was. It was. I've had a look back. I did get it wrong. It was Hamilton 5-4. You're right. Unusual because I'm famous for not making mistakes, aren't I, Phil? That, that's Absolutely, the thing. Yeah. And, and it's unusual that the old one creeps in. But let, if we're talking mistakes, Phil, then we've got to say... Well, I don't know. If, would you would you class it under mistakes? I think, anyway, in some ways, you would. Live scoring was a real letdown, wasn't it? L- yeah. Let's be clear; it, it was a poor service. Loads of fans have been have been writing to us actually uh, about this and saying they just couldn't get satisfactory scoring uh, going throughout the week when matches were in progress, certainly. And even now, when I've been looking through it, especially to catch up on a bit because I've been away and just to have a look through for this episode, the breaks aren't really showing up. It, it, it just were obviously unsatisfactory. Now, we know there's a new system coming out soon that's not in place yet. This is kind of a temporary situation. And we should say WST have responded today, haven't they? And let, let's see what they've had to say here. As previously announced, this is from WST, as previously announced during the Kazoo World Championship, WST will be launching a new and vastly improved website and app in November this year. The initial uh, plan was to continue with the previous scoring platform during the interim period. However, due to unforeseen late changes with existing providers, a temporary scoring site was needed to be created in a very short space of time. While we are pleased we've been able to fulfil that need to a degree, we also share the disappointment of fans regarding the platform's inability at the early stages of its rollout. This was due in part to providers being new to this very complex project, which they had short notice to pull together. There was also with a large amount of data scraping from illicit sources, which has caused excessive traffic on the live scoring infrastructure. So that sounds a bit like gobbledygook to me, actually, that, to be brutally <laughs> honest. Um, not in a rude way, but that, that's quite a, that's, that's a bit of a technical mouthful, really. Steps have been taken to mitigate this issue going forward. 
and that resulted in improved stability towards the end of Bet Victor European Masters qualifying. The issues we have experienced have subsequently led to a delay in deployment of the key features that fans have been accustomed to. These include points remaining, player photos, current break data and the draw. Now that we have stabilised the platform, we are hopeful that all of these features will be deployed in time for the Kazoo British Open qualifiers from August the 14th. We understand frustrations from fans that the platform hasn't been up to the standard they expect and deserve. But rest assured, we have been working extensively with our providers to ensure we are back on track as soon as possible. We appreciate your patience, WST. Now, I'm a bit flippant there with that gobbledygook comment. It's obvious they're working to fix it. I mean, that's that was always obvious. They're not just going to be sitting idly by and accepting what is not a happy situation where they're getting pelters left, right and centre from fans. But you can understand their disappointment, can't you? And let's say, you know, for the live scoring services that do work, particularly our friends at snooker.org, thank you very much to them because they're keeping the show rolling over, Phil, when really it should be others doing that. And it's not been good enough, but we have had an answer here. And hopefully we'll see if they are better when it comes to the next set of qualifiers. Yeah, and um, you know, if, if it is fixed, I'm sure we'll get over pretty quickly. But yeah, it's it's, it's not been good enough at all. Um, and clearly, there's a problem here. It's just the timing; everything is a bit confusing. Why would you launch something in November? Um, why not get things, everything out sorted over the summer? You know, there's quite a, a clear, defined gap in snooker calendar where this these kind of things should be sorted, ready to start the new season. Um, and yeah, it's it's the hardcore fans. You know, the vast vast majority of people won't notice stuff like this, but it's the hardcore fans that follow every ball of every tournament. You know that they're the ones affected by this, and I think they're often the ones that feel sort of let down most by um, issues like this. Because, um, as I say, it probably wouldn't happen. You wouldn't. They wouldn't be left in a in a triple crown event with things like this. But it's it's the really dedicated fans that want to know what's going on in European Masters qualifiers mm-hmm. that feel like they're not being served um, as they should be. And uh, you know, it's absolutely right that they feel disappointed by this. So um, good that the World Snooker responded, um, but it has, as you said, not not a good service at all. Um, especially you know when there's only four tables and stuff. You know that you'd think someone could manually put in breaks if they had to. Um, you know, it's a faff, but if you aren't going to do it properly uh, electronically, then, you know, do something else. But anyway, um, they said that hopefully it'll be fixed by the next time there's any competitive action. So fingers crossed it will be. Um, and it should be. Um, it shouldn't be taking that long to fix what can't be that complicated a system, really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could be wrong by saying this, but I, I almost feel that they've been better off not having it for this last one because it just it becomes so frustrating. It just mm-hmm. makes people go a bit mad, and it, you, you do because you, you know, especially if you're sports fans and you're particularly into to a sport and you want to follow it and you're used to following it over the years and it's it's been decent enough over the years and suddenly it's gone. It's a uh, it just drives you mad. You sort of think, well, just take it away for this event. There are other places to find it because it makes them look bad by having this sort of half-cocked, half-baked service that's not doing the job. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess you know, they may have thought it would look even worse if it was nothing there at all. But, um, yeah, let's just, let, let's hold fire on this. There's a bit of, just for the general overview, 
there's still quite a lot of angst, isn't there, around, I detect, on, on social media and elsewhere. I don't know if you'd agree with this, on forums, about the way the sort of, I suppose, the all-encompassing thing and saying the game is being run, but just things like the basic services of 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 scoring and promoting the sport. I think people feel the sport isn't being promoted that well. And again, you, you mentioned the Triple Crown event. I know that various learned people in the game have sort of said for some time that there's a bit of a have and have nots in snooker, that some events are promoted absolutely brilliantly. I mean, for example, the Masters, that, that's a masterclass in promotion, actually, from everything they do about it, the way it's sold on social media, the way that you know the draws done on television with the, the big event before, it's sold to an inch of its life. And of course, you know, every seat sold. I mean, every seat sold because it's a brilliant, historic, famous event that's much loved. And it's in a perfect slot, great venue. There are loads of factors. But it, it also helps that it's brilliantly promoted. But also, you know, we need other things promoted as well. And these lesser events, I mean, for example, we're going to talk about the British Open draw shortly. I mean, there's some very attractive matches there. We also need Cheltenham to be sold big time as well. And we need that to be sold within an inch of its life. If you know what I mean, I'm going over the top, but you know what I'm saying. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm a bit torn. I, I think I said it towards the end of last season. that I think some of the angst is a bit follow my leader and it's a little bit over the top. But then there are sort of frustrations there as well. So I think the, the sensible thing to do is hold fire a little bit and wait until the season develops more. We are in its early stages. And sometimes when there's not much snooker, we're all in our summer mode. We're sometimes looking for problems, aren't we, really? And when we get into it, we're a bit more focused on what's actually happening. But you know what I mean? There is still There seems to be that element of angst around. Yeah, and it's hard because, as I said, you sort of look at it from the, the hardcore perspective, which we're part of and we're talking to really on this podcast. Um, and, you know, we've watched the Championship League, we've watched these European Masters qualifiers. But, um, yeah, to, I would say to um, a casual snooker fan or even like a reasonably keen snooker fan, but not a hardcore snooker fan, they wouldn't really know any snooker's happened since the 1st of May or whenever the world, whatever date the World Championship finished up. Mm. Um, you know, unless uh, you could easily have missed the whole Championship League and the European Masters qualifiers on the streaming sites where we watch them, um, unless you're really, really into snooker. Um, so that's a, it's a long old gap um, to, to have... And yeah, this will continue. You know, we've got the we've got a couple of weeks until the British Open qualifiers, and then the European Masters starts on what twenty second of August. Um, so really, to have sort of mainstream ish TV coverage that will have a promoted event, it's a serious gap um, where it's only got um, the seriously hardcore fans that would even really know it's happening. So yeah, I think there is a promotional issue for um, the other stuff. You know, obviously European Masters qualifiers in. Leicester and then they get the full welly um, but they'd be so easily missed unless you're really really paying attention and uh, you know that's probably not an ideal situation is it No you're right but the British Open in Shortland should get the full welly and so should, yeah. the, so should the English Open in Brentwood and so should the Northern Ireland and to some extent they, they will get more welly frankly but they you know they, they last time actually I was a I had a little bit of humble pie to eat with the Cheltenham because the first time it was there, I thought the crowds were very low and I didn't think it was an ideal venue. I love Cheltenham as the place, the race school, that, that one of the, the greatest events in sport for me. But I just won the, the National Hunt Festival, I mean, every March. But I just wondered whether it was quite right for snooker. But actually, last time it sold pretty well. But this is where they keep the, keep the impetus going now and make sure we get you know more people in there this time. And 
yeah, as I say. But there are only let's be fair as well. There are only so many people, you know, that work in the WST, and they work very hard. And you know, there's not dozens of staff there doing it. There's only a few in the media side. So, you know, and they've got lots of responsibilities as well. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because I just just skirting around. Even today, looking at social media, I think, I mean, you know, social media can sometimes be a quite negative place actually but it just seems like that you know there's not that many positive sort of comments being made about the game at the moment that's kind of the way i feel but listen let's wait for the season to develop more and uh you should we should say phil that uh you are listening here to talking snooker with phil haig and nick metcalf and the qualifying dumb and dusty for now then phil let's move on to the british open draw and uh that tournament we we've been mentioning just before in in Cheltenham, kicking off on Monday, September the twenty fifth, and some marvellous games to look forward to. I mean, not particularly long affairs, but they're going to be fascinating, and none more so than Luca Purcell against Ding Junhui, the world champion against one of the great superstars of the sport. Well, they're both superstars of the sport now. What 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 a game to look forward to? Some other highlights here that I've written down: Ronnie O'Sullivan has got Jimmy Robertson. Uh, Judd Trump, Anton Kazakoff, uh, Mark Selby, Ben Wollaston, got Mark Williams against Penny Song, and John Higgins against uh, Long Jihang. Uh, we've got Sean Murphy here up against Rebecca Kenner. Neil Robertson's got Jamie Clark. It's Mark Allen against Anthony McGill. Ali Carter up against Alan Taylor. Uh, Jack Lazowski's playing Joe O'Connor. Uh, Kyron Wilson against Martin O'Donnell. Uh, Gary Wilson's got Ahmed Al Syed. And Robert Milkins is up against Jiang Jun, and the full list of all the matches you will see on the WST website. And we've 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 come to love this tournament again, Phil. Uh, many listeners of more mature vintage will me- remember it being a smashing tournament back in the eighties and the nineties when ITV used to cover it. Well, ITV on board again, of course. And come the early autumn, won't that give us some lovely viewing? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a great return to the to the circuit, and it's it's extended from that first year where it's best of fives. Well, I think his first round is best of seven, so um, not quite as uh, lottery-ish as it was uh, back then. Um, another nice one, um, you mentioned almost all the nice ones there, but uh, Stephen Maguire against Jimmy White, I thought was a, a cracking little first rounder there. Could see some rests thrown and some tables thumped <laughs> between those two, which I don't mind one bit. Um, but actually, we mentioned, I think we mentioned last week Stephen hadn't played yet, so... Um, and I wasn't sure why he didn't play in those first two events. So it was good to see him playing because he needs some results to stay on tour and we'd all like to see him stay on, I think. Um, but yeah, um, both editions, it's just two editions so far, isn't it? The British Open has come back. Mark Williams won that first one and then Ryan Day surprisingly won last year. So um, I, I, I've loved it and I like this FA Cup style draw, this random draw. Um, nightmare for these guys, you know, Luca and Ding playing each other, Mark Allen and Anthony McGill. I'm sure they're not going to be loving it right now, but I think throwing those kind of matches in first thing, great stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think you had a nice, was it you got a nice turn of phrase? They, they won't be loving it, but the rest of us will, something like that. It's a bit, <laughs> I think it's a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. No, that's an absolute crackers. And we really look forward to that qualifying for that event coming up in a couple of weeks' time. And then, as I say, from September the 25th, and that event will be live in the UK on ITV. And as we always say, Phil, if you want to see where the rest of the qualifiers are being played, don't bother us. Go to the WST website. Let them take the flack on this one. Um, <laughs> Phil, we've got some more news lines 
Tianjin City will stage the return edition of the International Championship from November the 5th to the 12th. Of course, we're making a really big, concerted return to China this autumn. And uh, that's priceless for the game. We've we've missed our Chinese visits enormously, frankly. And on the China theme, Phil, some of the game's biggest names are in Hanguashu right now. That's not bad, was it? Marks out of 10? Don't mind it at all. Eight. I mean, I don't know what it's supposed to sound like, so I can't, <laughs> I can't really. I'm not the best judge, but it sounded good to me. <laughs> That's true, actually. The man who hasn't got a clue how it's said, give me Mark. I thought seven in my head. I think seven's about right. Um, they're, in a, they're there now for an event organised by the Chinese Billiards and Snooker Association. Uh, never heard of these guys, actually, now I think about it. John Higgins, Judd Trump, Mark Williams, Stephen Hendry. Jack Lazowski, Mark Allen, Kyron Wilson and Ryan Day. I mean, seriously, what a popper who's who uh, are taking part. Looking at some nice photos emerging from over there, Phil. Looks like a nice place. Looks a bit like paradise, actually. Some of it looks delightful, doesn't it? Yeah, that water. I think it's famous, that waterfall, which they've all been posing in front of. It looks, it looks sensational. They're very well looked after over there. Um, yeah, I spoke to Jason Ferguson about that. And he's because there was a bit of confusion. It really sort of sprung up on social media, that poster that a lot of people were seeing. And uh it's part of the CBSA tour, um, which is a way, a route onto the main tour. But um, there's an agreement with uh, the World Snooker Tour that they sort of are allowed to, a couple of events a season, can invite some main tour professionals over and they're happy to send them over. And I'm sure they're paid very well for their services um, just to sort of promote snooker over there in these different venues. I don't, I don't think they'd had much snooker in that city before. And it's obviously sort of a, a beauty spot where they get tourists. So trying to make a thing of it. And uh, uh, they look like they're having a great time looking at social media. They've been um, treated to some uh, lovely dinners. Um, the trophy looks great, which I always like to see. Um, so, yeah, we'll see who comes away the winner from that. It looks like a far cry from the Barnsley Metrodome, doesn't it? I don't know why I was picked on that place. Very mean. <laughs> I think because I was there and I, I, I can never get that towel incident or the various incidents of being asked for a towel. I just can't get it out of my head. Um, just to say, you spoke to Jason as well, Phil, about about sort of tournaments, and he's making optimistic noises, isn't he? He's not he's not giving us you know specific names of the dresses and and, and, and road names yet, or anywhere specific. But they're they're clearly going to be gaps filled. You, I think in the piece you pointed out that next March is particularly sort of empty at the moment. But Jason's saying, hold fire, we're going to fill those gaps almost certainly. Yeah, I mean, he sounded like certainly. Um, yeah, as I say, yeah, as you say, he didn't. He didn't say we're going to be here uh, and when. But um, there, there is a, a couple, two or three weeks gap in March, um, so I'd expect at least one event there. Um, and yeah, he always does sound very positive. <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, that's always the spin of it, but. Uh, certainly, when he says that, I, I certainly do believe him that those those gaps will be filled, and uh, potentially other other tournaments coming in. So, yeah, the the calendar is already looking better than it has been in recent seasons, and I sh- would expect it to get even better uh, in the nearish future. So, all good news there. No, definitely. For let's move on to a bit more correspondence. Then I I sort of said how how what a fine job you've been doing in my in my french absence on the on the twitter feed and you you sent out a really nice question earlier about people naming their specific tournament winners in this new season and you'll be taking a look at some of the responses we'll do that in a moment but we've also had owen harris uh write to us 
with a couple of questions. Maybe let's take that the questions from him. He says, hi, guys. Thanks for the podcast. I love it. Two questions, uh, two points here from Owen. The last couple of seasons, he says, have been wild in terms of outsiders winning events and first-time ranking event winners. So far this season, we have had Murphy win an event and no huge surprises in European Masters qualifying. With the Canada getting closer to what it was pre-COVID, could this be the season we get a bit more back to the status quo, or am I jumping the gun? Well, you know how how I dislike using that word nuance, Phil? I only chuck it in from time to time. There is nuance here. What what comes to my mind is going to the UK in 21, which I'll always remember, I think. One of the main reasons I remember it is it was the first time that I personally, and maybe a lot of people within our business, saw a really full press room again. So it was brilliant uh, after all the miseries of the pandemic. That was a proper busy press room. And a couple of learned people in the game actually said, and it was in light of the fact it was the Luca and shouting Tom final, actually. They were saying, you know, COVID's been quite samey. So there, there was that element, but I guess to be fair, I've been saying last two seasons, so that would be 21, 22 and 22, 23. So yeah, you're kind of right. There was a lot of similar winners in COVID because we were sort of saying, oh, you know, the big guns are going to struggle, you know, maybe more here without the crowds. It'd be a bit more of a level. It wasn't, it wasn't the case at all. You know, that, it, it was the big gun generally winning a lot. But then we had the odd, obviously odd, huge outlier with that, like Jordan Brown. But then, yes, you're right. We've had lots of surprises the last couple of years. Whether it's back, back more to status quo, I think it's obviously good. It's hard to make firm predictions. What I would say is there are so many tournaments in the season now, thank goodness, that, that I feel like there's almost room for both, if you know what I mean. I feel like there's room for those big established stars that generally win the biggest events still, don't they? The really biggest events tend to go to the big hitters. There's also room for a bit more sort of surprise as well. So I don't know if there's a, if there's going to be one path or the other. I think there's a bit of both, Phil. I love sitting on the fence. You know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, when you get those sort of big, what were they? Jordan Brown and Fang Zheng Yu winning those two tournaments, that was both 750 to one. Um, but that's what we talk about all the time. You know, the standards are better than ever. Lower down the rankings, it's it's way higher than it ever has been. Um, so in a way, we shouldn't be quite as surprised as we were when those guys were in it. But you know, it obviously was a massive shock. Um, so I don't know about going back to the status quo. Yeah, I think I think a mix is right. Um, there's guys in ranked in the twenties, thirties, forties, beyond who are very capable of winning tournaments and beating anyone in the game if they just have a good week. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're about to go back to just four or five people hoovering up all the, all the titles at all. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many people who are capable. Um, I heard Sean Murphy talking about um, his his first round draw in the European Masters, which held over to the the arena stages, and it, it's Graham Dot. You know, uh, he's he's in the 40s in the rankings these days, but... I mean, if you're a top eight player, you're getting given Graham Dot in the first round. You're not happy about that. Uh, and there's loads of examples like that. So, you know, things are tough uh, for everyone in the game in terms of getting wins and winning tournaments. Um, and, yeah, there, there will be some surprises still, but they're not even massive surprises because everyone knows how good everyone is. So, yeah, it'll be a mix. I'm going to sit on the fence still, but it'll be a mix too. <laughs> I think I was saying last time as well, these tournaments are so unpredictable now. 
I mean, maybe not say so much the British Open because that's kind of a funny one because of the FA Cup style draw. But for example, I- I'm sure when we come to the, the English Open uh, in a couple of months' time, picking a winner will be like, you know, uh, I'm not saying neither in the haystack, but it's gonna. It's so hard to pick a winner of these tournaments now, which is great because there are so many brilliant players all the top sixteen. The next 16 are top, top players. They can win events, pretty much all of them. So it's just, yeah, it's uh, the age-old thing about whether it's best to have one or two dominating or have a more unpredictable era. That will always be a debate. But we've got a more unpredictable era at the moment, certainly. I don't don't feel we're suffering for that, put it that way. Um, Second point here from Owen. Sean Murphy, the aforementioned Sean, says commentating during events doesn't affect his performance Stephen Hendry has often said he disagrees with this. Sean has just won another non-BBC event where he wasn't commentating. And he hasn't won a BBC event recently. Is Hendry winning the argument more and more as time goes on? Or should we believe Sean? Maybe I'll let you go first on this one. Well, I mean, it's it's tricky. I mean, I spoke to Sean about that and he says he knows what he's doing. He feels like it actually it doesn't only not hinder him, it benefits him. Um, he concentrates on, you know, looking at players and learning things, looking at conditions. You know, he's, he's learning about snooker by talking about it uh, and concentrating very strongly on it. Um, but, yeah, his record in the BBC events, which is the ones he commentates on, it's not been so good um, as it has been in other events um, recently. Uh, so that's an argument against that. Um, I think certainly, you know, Sean, Sean's element one way. If you asked a string of players, commentators, people in the game, most people would disagree with him. Um, but he knows he knows best, uh, or he should know best. Um, so yeah, it's tricky to say. Um, you know, did he lose to Seizure Hui in the first round of the World Championship because he's commentating on the tournament. I don't think so. I don't think that was relevant to that at all, really. Um, did I think in that previous World Championship when he was commentating in the day and then playing, I think it was Steve Maguire in the evening, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I think that was that was too much. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, the only way for him to prove himself right is to go and win a BBC tournament. But they're the hardest tournaments to win. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not as simple as just you could turn up and win them. Um, but he's in as good a form as he's ever been now. He's playing absolutely superbly. So um, we'll see what happens this season. You know, if if he can keep up this form and he hoovers up loads of tournaments but does really badly in the Triple Crown, then maybe that'll prove that it is a problem. Um, but we'll see. Um, he obviously really enjoys doing it. Uh, and... You know, it's a second stream of income as well. That's positive. But obviously, you know, if he thought it was damaging his chances of winning the Masters, the UK Championship, the World Championship, he wouldn't be doing it. Um, now, maybe he doesn't think that and he's wrong. Um, but it's very, it's very hard to say, isn't it? Um, as I say, maybe give it this season. If he can keep this form up and they're the outliers, then maybe that'll prove prove it once and for all. Yeah, you said you said it all so well there, really, uh, as you so often do. I, I think I'm trying to think of the the kind of grammatical phrase that that would sum up the the point Owen makes about the beat. 
it's, I think it might be a false emphasis, or it's something along those lines. And you've hinted at it there. BBC events are hugely difficult to win. One of them is the World Championship. I mean, and, and the other, you know, two out of the three are the UK Championship and the World Championship. They're bloody hard. They're immensely hard events to win. Was he commentating in 21, by the way, when he reached the final? Uh, I, I, I couldn't swear by that now. No, I'm not I sure. Feel like, I feel like he might have been. but, but Yeah, but, I want to say yes as well, but I, I couldn't. Yeah, well, if, if, he, if he was, it didn't, it didn't harm him there. But maybe, you know, we're not sure. We'll leave that out. But first thing to say is it's not, it is, in fairness, total fairness to Sean, nothing new. Dennis Taylor's been commentating for decades, back in the 80s when he was still a, you know, a, a, you know, a leading player. But, you know, it's not a new thing. But I think the reason it's become quite new, newsworthy or talkworthy, if I can use that phrase, is that I think there was a long gap when it wasn't really relevant because, yeah, you had sort of John Parrott, Steve Davis doing it, but they'd they'd long since been competitors, really. Mm. They might have the odd maverick run, certainly like Steve, for example, 2010, famously at the Crucible, but not really. And they weren't really in the running to win things. Whereas Sean is very much one of the best players in the game right now. And, you know, and he, you know, he, a genuine superstar that can win any big event. So it does feel a, a bit different again. It's something we haven't had for a while, which is why I think people talk about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say I thought Sean himself on his own podcast with Phil recently made a, a really good point, actually, that some people suggested, oh, you know, wait a bit more, like maybe a Hendry. But, but, but Sean was saying, well, I haven't got their CV. And, you know, Clearly, Sean's got a brilliant CV, but he hasn't got that top level, probably, where maybe he can say, well, I'll, you know, I'll do it when I want. You, you know, I'll come back, you know, ring you when I fancy doing it. You know, maybe, you know, when the BBC come calling and say, say, you know, come and do it, why wouldn't he strike while the iron's hot? And he's very good at doing it as well. And as you say, it, you know, like a lot of players, you've got to think about their their future lives. We know Sean absolutely adores snooker. He's absolutely you know, as much of a fan as he is a player and just a great student and historian of the game type thing. And of course he wants to be involved in this way. I will be honest though, I, I'm not in, I'm not 100% comfortable with, with anyone in sport that commentates events while they're in it. And, and I was thinking about other, I was thinking, for example, the, the one I had in my head was, if you had Andy Murray commentating at Wimbledon while he's in Wimbledon, would I be happy with that? I don't think I would. And I'm not, I, I just don't think I would be. I, I, I think I'd find it a bit odd. I, 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 maybe that's an unfair word to use odd, but I just, I think when, when players are out, it's, it's I think when, I, when I'd rather hear. For, but, but again, who am I to say? I'm not a player, I'm not a commentator. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the ultimate outsider, really. As, and as you rightly said, you know, Sean is likely to know best, isn't he? So I'm sure we'll continue to have different views on this. But I think to say hasn't won a BBC event is probably a little bit of an unfair one in the sense they are monster events to win. Having said that, he's winning sort of monster events on ITV, actually. He's winning those sort of select, you know, prestige events, the, 30, the, the 16s and the 8s. So he obviously could, could, in that theory, easily win the Masters. It's a tough one because he could, he could, he could obviously, you know, win anything in the game. He's one of the very top players in the game. So maybe that's why people talk about it a lot. But I, f- I find there are no easy answers. I know he's I know he's immensely puzzled. For, for when I, I listen to him talk about it, and I think he's talked about it with you and other people. 
he, he doesn't think people should talk about it this much. And I think I don't want to put ideas, you know, thoughts in his head type thing, but I get the feeling he's a little bit insulted that we all talk about it so much as if, well, you know, he's, he's, I think he's too polite to say, what well, do you not know? But there's almost a bit of that. And he'd be right to say what, to think what, what do you not know to some extent, wouldn't he feel? I mean, you know, he's the one out there doing it. He's the one that's, you know, been in the heat of the battle and, you know, the closest we've got is Tony Mia Trophy. I mean, what you know, <laughs> what do we know? Yeah. Well, he has sort of hinted at that. I think he said, like, I pull rank as the professional, like, I know what I'm doing. And, yeah, I mean, none of us can compare it. I mean, I've heard other players say that they wouldn't do it, um, but they might not have done it themselves either. And, uh, yeah, Mark Allen commentated during uh, this World Championship yeah. and pushed Mark Selby an awful long way and all the way to the in the semi-finals. So um I didn't hear loads of people saying, oh, he'd have got to the final and won it if he hadn't been commentated. Mm. Just seemed to be like a bit of a bugbear with Sean. Um but I think to be it, fair, he 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 only did a little bit, didn't he, Mark? Whereas I think Sean does absolutely less, yeah. absolutely loads. I think that might be the difference. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. And maybe that's the answer, you know, do do a bit less. But yeah, it's up to him, isn't it? Um like I think the only, the only reason people seem to have a problem with it really is that they think it's harming his, his chances. Um, so if A, he doesn't think it is, or if it is and he's not bothered, then that's entirely up to him. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need to talk probably. Um, I mean, it's an interesting topic uh, is it, because it is... You know, it, it just is interesting, but yeah, maybe he's right that we don't need to talk about it quite so much. It's just his decision. Absolutely, but obviously we're going to respond when, when people write to us. Thank you for doing that, Owen. Now, Phil, those specific tournament winners, we've had quite a lot of nice ones in. You can reveal all, sir. Well, yeah, this was a little bit inspired by uh, Sean and Phil's podcast, actually, because I was uh, uh, the 147 podcast, because I was fascinated when Sean picked out the the specific Triple Crown winners for the season to come, which were the UK Championship, Stuart Bingham, the Masters, Kyron Wilson, and the World Championship himself, the magician, Sean Murphy, uh, <laughs> which was yeah, great to hear, putting his, ne- his neck on the, on the line there. I, uh, I went on a popular betting app and put £1 on that treble, which is set to return, if it comes in, over £6,000. So I will owe, I'll owe Sean a pint or two. If I if I uh, if I win six grand of his predictions, I'm a quid. Um, but that's why we asked for these specific predictions, and we've had a few, which is great. This is from Snooker Pro, our good friend Lula, um, who says Mark Davis will win the German Masters just because I want to celebrate his first and probably last ranking title with him. I know, very selfish. Well, there, there was no there's no reason behind these, but we did want to know why, and that's as good a reason uh, a why as any. Um, this is from El Short, the Green Baisley on Twitter. Uh, Ronnie will win zero because he's not playing enough. Selby, Worlds or Masters because he's back to good form. Not opposed to that. Uh, Phil, M18, Snooker, snooker on uh, Twitter. Matthew Stevens will win the World Championship so I could die happy. For the record, I'm not planning on going anywhere. It would be a big surprise. I think my pound would go a long way on the betting apps there as well. Uh, the Mariners, Torquay. After two times previous semi-final appearances in recent times, plus a runner-up in the Scottish Open last season, I think Joe O'Connor may well break through as a tournament winner this year. Only a matter of time. Sound technique, scores well, and like his mindset. Uh, Master Anara says Mark Williams will win the Masters. Two seasons ago, he lost the semi 
lost last season was runner-up to the seasonal win it, and the runner-up will be Selby. That is lovely and specific there. Mark, Mark Williams to beat Mark Selby in the Masters final. Oh, bloody hell. That would um, that, be, I won't be a bad watch that Sunday, will it? I don't mind that at all. Um, <laughs> Janet Vouler on her Twitter says, Nop on to win the World Grand Prix. Uh, his last run was incredible and it just feels like he's ready for only pounce this season. Could also seem to, doing good at the British. Seems to like Cheltenham or one of the home nations. Had some good runs. Feels do another one. Yeah, I think Nop on Senkem is, uh, no, Jack Lasowski is obviously the obvious choice for. First time ranking event winner of any season, really, but Nopon's not too far behind. He does look increasingly impressive. Um, James Ego Acre says Jamie Jones, Joe O'Connor, and Nopon Sankem will win their first ranking titles this season. I mean, that's big. If we had three brand new ranking yeah. title winners in a season, Jones, O'Connor, and Nopon, uh, we'll, uh, we'll send you a prize, James, if that happens. And final one from Chris Lee. My only prediction is that there will be two one four sevens in one match this season. I wouldn't mind that either. I don't mind any of these, to be fair. What prize are you planning to send out, Phil? I just you made not sure. Of- I mean, I, I was so confident that won't happen that I just just brandished <laughs> that offer. Um, I'll come up with that later when Jamie Jones is winning the world championship. I'll start thinking about that. We've both got some terrible tat in our possession, haven't we? Um, actually, we shouldn't say that. It's supposed to be a prize. That's awful. We, we, we've got a few nice things in our possession, let's say that, <laughs> which we could, we could uh, but say, yeah. Oh, that Mark Williams seminar. I, I, I always remember I was at, outside Villa Park, I think still my favourite ground in, in English football, and, and the phone went down on me, which I was so gutted about in, in that decider. So it was sort of spoiled for me because I knew it when I got on there, but I still watched. I still watched what happened, and it was ludicrous that he lost that decider. Really, Mark wasn't it? It was mm. barking mad, really. I mean, and he was playing so well. It's a real. It sounds silly over someone that sort of won an absolute load, but he feels like he's almost not owed one, but due one of those big ones a little bit. Mark, he's knocked on the door so much recently. And he's contributed so much, not just throughout his life, but I'm talking in very, very recent times. In the last sort of two or three years, I feel like he's contributed so much to the big tournament. That one week when he lost in the decided to Judd at the Crucible, I think he played the best in that championship, quotes yeah. unquotes best. He was brilliant to watch. So I almost feel like, you know, okay, he's playing marvellously already early season, but it'd be lovely to see, really. I know we, you know, we need to pass on to the next generation and all that, but what, what I, I could go for, oh, well, I'm not even saying one last one because, you know, he's so good, he might have a, a few more. But I, I'd like to see potentially one more last crowning massive one for Mark, eh? Yeah, and I mean, that Masters final last year, he seemed to be the better player through most of that, managed to lose it. Um, he, mm. he's, won, he's, uh, he's been on the wrong end of some epic deciding frame losses over the last season or so. Um but yeah, he's just guaranteed to save it, isn't he? Win or lose. And he's still clearly, I mean, the way he started this season, um, he's right up there with the best. So he, he's a live contender in anything he enters, for sure. And almost the big ones more than the smaller ones. Um, he's a real threat in anything. Um, so yeah, uh, he'll, he'll be there and thereabouts. As he has said, or he has, he's always been to a ranking file this season. Um so yeah, he'll uh, he'll be contending. Don't worry about him. 
<laughs> well, I think you only put that message up today or today or yesterday, didn't you? So we've had some lovely ones very quickly. So I feel like we should almost carry that on for the next week, shouldn't we? So maybe we'll have some more next time um, because I, I love those specific ones. As you say, yeah, I, I like Sean's predictions as well. What a story if Stuart completes the, the Triple Crown by winning the UK. I mean, goodness me, that would be famous in every sense. And yeah, you feel Kyron, you'd love to see him get one one day. So yeah, that was the... I say Maverick, it's hardly Maverick when you say Stuart, Stuart, Kyron and Sean, but putting them together, it's kind of a Maverick one. It would certainly be a a cracking selection of stories for us, eh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that shows how, what we're saying about um, sort of standard and everything like that. You know, they're, they're top players and they seem like a shock compared to that. You've got that elite bunch, then you've got a sort of a middle uh, a bunch just behind them. But then there's players way down the rankings behind them who are, who are still capable of winning stuff. So, yeah, it, yeah, all those three guys shouldn't be a shock for anything. But yeah, as you said, well, as I as I checked on that betting, six thousand to one, it, it had to be worth a pound. What What are you planning to to, to um to treat your old mate Nick Metcalf with if you get six grand? Oof. Well, we can talk about that when Sean Murphy's. Pocking some balls at the Crucible after Stuart and Kyron have also already been crowned champions. Um, but you can get your requests in. Listeners can get the requests in as well. I won't keep any of it myself. Proper socialist, I like that. Um, maybe a video of an old 80s, uh, 80s comedy. I mean, I thought I was, you know, hark back to yesteryear, but I thought Dave kicking off with the eight and a half hot mum recently was very inspired. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I, I saw that live with my... My dad once in the 80s, I've forgotten which seaside town it was now, probably Bournemouth, yeah, so Donna Stell, Melvin Hayes and uh, Windsor Davis. So, yeah, that was a proper way to start it. And uh, so maybe, I'll, yeah, maybe I'll, I, I shall think about my favourite 80s sitcom. But anyway, it, it, it would be a hell of a thing if that came in. We want more, don't we, then, of your specific tournament predictions. We'll remind you about that on Twitter again as well. Uh, so contact us there on via Talking Snooker Twitter feed or indeed to myself or Phil on Twitter. Or you can email us, perhaps. You can do it that way as well if you want to have a bit of a longer say, maybe a longer space to give your reasons for why you might be going for a specific winner. And our email address is talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. Well, I was, was at one time I was thinking, oh, how are we going to fill the time a little bit here? We're going to get up to our allotted, allotted time. I know we're used to our marathons, but we've gone over an hour. Boy, can we rabbit on about snooker, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> really can, yeah. It's uh, is it a talent? I'll call it a talent. Why not? <laughs> Maybe half a talent. Any other business? Any uh, other? No, I've been uh, got a couple of interviews coming this week. I've been to Chris Wakeman tomorrow. I've been to Scott Donaldson the day after. Um, it's quite time for the next couple of weeks. So chatting to as many people as I can. So uh, keep an eye out for them on uh, Metro.co.uk when they come out. Bong. Now, why have I just gone bong, Phil? Because the time, not because I've gone mad. That's not happened. That's not. That's not. Happen, that's not happening quite yet. Um, because the time has ticked round to midnight. Now, I know. I know you. I know you said that. You know what? What am I doing about the qualifier? But there's a bit of that, isn't there? When when it, when it ticks to the midnight hour, and the man, you know, even though we're enjoying talking very much, you sort of think, goodness, we've got to head to bed for sure. You know, at least a, you know watch some more old snooker videos or something. I've loved your company. It's been great. We'll be along next time, won't we? We've got qualifiers to come again, another set of those British Open. We've got the European Masters now just three weeks away. So we're still in that quiet snooker time. I'll be very much in the sort of summertime. 
But uh, we were enjoying various other sporting events. The, what a climax for the Ashes. You were waxing lyrical about that before and how much you, you enjoyed it, along with millions of sports fans. Fairy tale finish for Stuart Broad. What a, what, a, what a story that was this week, eh? Yeah, it was amazing. That whole series was uh, really incredible. And just a shame that, you know, we suffered that uh, rain ruin two days. You know, if that, that that climax on Monday was amazing, but it would have been that times a fair few if that was to win the thing. So, um, but it was such a, such an entertaining series, not too much disappointment. Um, yeah, just a shame we've got to wait so much longer for, for any more test cricket because that was the, the a sensational advert for it. Boy, wasn't it? And I know the BBC are going all guns for the 100 today, kicking off, and you can see why it's there predominantly, well, not predominantly, Sky have got it as well, but it's very much a BBC thing as well, isn't it? They're showing loads of it live, but you sort of think it's a bit after the Lord Mayor show, really, now throughout August compared to that. But loads of great sport. Women's World Cup continues. England are still going strong in that through to the last 16. We're enjoying watching that from Australia and New Zealand. So lots of sport. And, of course, it goes back to what I was saying, you know, a little bit before, and I think you were hinting as well, you need to sell the snooker a bit more now because there's so much else going on. This is when promotion needs to be high. So mm-hmm. we're actually still there. We've, we've got events that might not be the most high profile. They might not be maybe as big as some of these other sort of major sporting events, but, you know, we're still there. We've got qualifiers to come and a big event coming up. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not quite into that time when we're sort of uh, glued to the screen every week, Phil, but uh, snooker's ticking over and weren't the qualifiers in the last week uh, uh, terrific good value. Yeah, there were. And, uh, yeah, there'll be plenty of other chat to go from here and from other podcasts. And to be fair, Will, Will Snooker have done some good interviews on the website as well, um, reading the one they did with Graham Dot about his injury, he was suffering recently. And uh, they did that great video with Joe Perry and Neil Robertson oh, yeah. um, in that cl- in their club. Um, yeah. That was really good. So there is, there is content to devour while, uh, while there's not too much action on the table. And uh, we'll keep that coming as well. <laughs> they got great chemistry, those two, haven't they? I love watching them yeah. together. They almost finish each other's sentences, don't they? They've got that kind of level of <laughs> level of chemistry. Great to see you, Phil. See you next time, sir. All the best. Yes, always a pleasure. And thanks for listening, everyone. Speak to you soon. Keep your thoughts coming on any snooker matters, specifically those specific tournament winners. Talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. See you next time. For now, for Phil and myself. Cheerio. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.